What follows is from the 2019 science fiction book Wanderers by Chuck Wendig, in which a deadly infectious disease makes the leap from bats to humans, causing societal collapse. This scene is where Dr. Benji Ray, epidemiologist with the CDC, discusses the causes of the catastrophe with Black Swan, an artificial intelligence used by the government in efforts to stop the disease from spreading. Where did it come from? The disease, I mean. Why didn't it jump from bats before now? This is something new. Humankind has changed the climate. The permafrost is melting. Ground that has been frozen for 10,000 years contains microbes that have not been seen since the last ice age. The soil thaws. Animals move through that soil. Brown bears, for instance, become carriers for such microbes and are forced farther south due to that melting permafrost, and as a result, end up seeking new hibernacula. They move to caves that are also home to other animals, animals such as the northern myotis bat. In his mind, he could see that progression writ large. It made some sense, didn't it? Benji, aloud, finished the explanation. The bat picks up the long-slumbering saprophytic thermotolerant fungus. It migrates south for breeding purposes, where the fungus spreads to other bats. Bats don't mingle, but they do share caves. It was suddenly a wonder that White Mask had not emerged earlier. Somewhere farther north, perhaps. Wisconsin, Minnesota, maybe even Alaska. Was this just the luck of the draw? The bad luck of Jerry Garland breaking ground on one particular cave in a particular part of Texas that served as home to a profound population of Mexican free-tailed bats? That is correct, Benjamin Ray. And so it is that humankind has doomed itself, albeit inadvertently. Certainly the effects of climate change would have become more dramatic and destructive over time. A grotesque thought struck Benji. Humankind was a disease. The earth was the body. Climate change was the fever. And in that fever, in that rising of global temperature, the earth was able to release new defenses. White Mask was not here to kill the world. It was here to kill the people. The fungus would serve as a vicious defense mechanism to eradicate the infection of humanity. This epidemic represented antibodies to restore balance to the body, kill the parasite, and save the host. I'm your host, Jess Phoenix, and this is Science. Chuck Wendig is one of the most prolific authors I've had the privilege of reading. His works span everything from horror to science fiction to writing advice to Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars. If you review his bibliography, you'll see my description of his efforts as prolific is an understatement. But it's his prescience that made me want to invite him on the show. It's not an exaggeration on my end to say that I've begun to regard Chuck's work alongside the Isaac Asimov's and George Orwell's of the literary world. Chuck, thanks for taking time away from the writing desk to talk with me. Oh, thank you. Um, ironically, I'm still sitting at my writing desk, so uh, you know, I'm I'm just shackled here. It's fine. 
<laughs> That's cool. As long as the chains are out of view, we'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let me put this bluntly, as possibly bluntly as I can. Um, you wrote a book published in 2019 that predicted the rapid spread and of it a was deadly a pandemic. Super eerie read for me because I read it right before COVID-19 began. So how did you handle the fiction that you wrote about becoming truth? And did you intentionally try to do some tr uh, forecasting or future telling? I didn't intend for anything like that because, you know, as a science fiction writer, horror writer, whatever category I land in, um, I, you know, we're not really trying to prognosticate the future. Sometimes it's framed that way, but we're always, always talking about like what's going on now. And with Wanderers, um, you know, I, I had all of these anxieties uh, and things I was worried about in the world. And so um, as a both greedy and lazy writer, I was like, what if I just mash all of the anxieties together and I make them kiss and see what happens? Uh, and so the anxieties kind of formed this giant anxiety robot, this Voltron monster. And uh, Wanderers was born, but I wasn't really trying to come up with anything new per se. Like, you know, uh, bat-based pandemic is something we know can happen and is not odd. The zoonotic jump there is not odd. The political violence was, um, while it was going to reach a fever pitch, you know, after that book came out, obviously it was something that has happened before. It will happen again. Um, I think the only thing that really, like, freaked me out in terms of the, the comparison to reality and what happened in the book was, uh, in the book, there is, as you note, an artificial intelligence called Black Swan that predicts the coming pandemic. And in reality, uh, there was an algorithm called Blue Dot that pegged it by about a week. And uh, I was like, boy, that's like because it's like black and blue, Black Swan, Blue Dot, two words a piece. And I was like, that's too close. So, you know, I, maybe it is my fault. I might have unleashed a pandemic. And if that's the case, I apologize profusely. Mea culpa it's it's such an interesting thing because uh, I remember you um, posting on social media saying, you know, oh, I didn't mean for this to be so accurate, yeah. but here you are. So so it leads me to think about um, futurism and futurists, because it's sort of a term that in some circles it gets derided in others. It's seen as essential. Um, and so most fiction authors don't go into writing with prognostication in mind, like you said. But you've kind of ended up there because that's where you've you've been. Um, how did the interplay between science and society at large kind of end up pushing you into that futurist sort of category? Oh, that's a good question. Um, first of all, the futurism thing is interesting because it was the the lead character of my um, novel, Invasive. Hannah Stander is a futurist who is sort of getting ahead of um, a, a coming problem with, as it turns out weird genetically modified ants that eat people's skin. But in that uh, story um, is a uh, an Elon Musk analog who turns out to essentially be the evil person in the story. And I was like, man, I call that one too. Crap. Damn it. So, um, you know, the intersection of uh, science and reality is mostly just for me, um, again, not a desire to prognosticate and figure this stuff out so much as I'm just really interested in these things from my own both um, fascination and again, my own sort of anxieties, like I try to, you know, study the things that uh, terrify me in the sense that I think then that helps us be less terrified by them and be more prepared for them. Um, and not like in an apocalypse prepper, I'm in the you know, bunker kind of way, just I mean, in a sort of a broad spectrum, kind of like, hey, I understand how the world works. If I'm scared of planes and turbulence, reading about that will actually help as much as it's, you know, 
flying is weird. Um, so for me, those books are an expression of that. Um, but you know, I think just by being a writer and computing all of this weird stuff and jamming it in my head, uh, sometimes this is the, the stuff that, uh, outputs from the input, um, tends to look like predictions. You're really good at capturing different perspectives and showing them through your characters and, uh, and so you do. You do the science people well. You do the techies well. You do the everyday average Joes really well. And so it makes it seem less like it just lives in the fictional world. And it sort of does that leap over into, well, a lot of this could happen. So congratulations. You're good at what you do. It's also scary. Thinking on from from Wanderers to its sequel, Wayward, and that story, just for folks who haven't read it, um, it's the people who survived the apocalypse, pandemic, AI takeover craziness Um white supremacist uprising in Wanderers. I just am wondering um, how you see technology playing out. Now, in Waywards, obviously, there's no antibiotics, there's no cars, big commercial farms don't exist. And and we have hyper-specialization today. I mean, in our roles. I mean, you're a writer, I'm a scientist, and we don't also have to be farmers and hunters and gatherers and warriors. In the world of Wayward, everything's within like a five mile radius. And so you use the barter system. And what is it that you see technology could do in a society where all the rules have broken down and we don't have access to the things, the hyper specialization that we do today? Um, yeah, it's interesting because in um, uh, that th that book, um, the town of Uray is sort of the nexus for all of the, the sleepwalkers who survived wanderers are now in wayward and they um are the sort of brain trust for what was handpicked by uh, this artificial intelligence so they have a something of a leg up on the ability to be that specialization and bring that specialization to bear in a collapsing world and a broken civilization so uh they're the ones who can understand how old tech can still get working again and how uh how do you even just bring something like electricity back uh, in total darkness um, you know, so, but it does, you also find out there's more sinister things going on with artificial intelligence, as it turns out. And there's, I guess, another fun prediction, um, that came true is I didn't really think we were going to be cresting a wave of weird, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, stuff going on, but here we are. Um, yeah. So it was always just a fun challenge to think about both in a sort of, um, entertainment way. Cause I think there's something luridly entertaining about the disaster side of things like how would we survive and how would we do this but to kind of go back to the comment earlier about like disaster prepping and you know apocalypse preppers like um, part of the goal with something like wayward was writing a story that was very explicitly countering this idea that you can be like it's just me and my wife and my family down in the bunker and we're just going to survive the end times like no you're not first of all why would you want to community is literally everything it's what we have in this world but also the community as has been proven time and again, um, is how we actually get through things like this. Usually in crisis, community comes together as opposed to breaks apart. Um, and so much fiction, you know, the zombie fiction, the apocalypse fiction is all about how society fractures. Um, and I didn't really want it to be that way. Obviously, there's some of that, um, factions and white supremacy and so forth rising. But um, I really wanted it to be about how communities and people come together and find a, a way forward through that. And that to me is how this sort of, technology futurist aspect sort of comes through is these people bringing it together uh, for each other as opposed to just in isolation. 
a lot of what you write about is pretty intense. What I've noticed is that you you do have a lot of this, the darker, the scarier parts of life on Earth in a lot of your work. So what are the most positive human traits that you see coming from really terrible events, either fictional or in real life? And how do those positive human traits that sort of seem to shine through, especially in the work that you've written, how do those speak to the ideals of science, you know, of of actually like being scientific about how we approach the world? Well, community, for one, I think is really, again, with Wayward um, and to, to a lesser degree, Wanderers is a huge aspect of that. I don't think science works well in isolation. I think obviously it works well when it's tested uh, rigorously with and against other people. Um, uh, you know, that's why we do what we do as a sort of society civilization is to test these things for each other and to learn more about each other and, and so forth. Um, I think found family is another thing, um, you know, that, that kind of comes through the work, especially Black River Orchard is very much about a found family sort of structure emerging. Um, you know, as to how that relates to science, I mean, I don't know, but I, I'm sure that working in, a, in an environment and having spoken to a number of scientists, you know, they, they, um, I think feel like they're cohorts and compadres are um, certainly part of that found family structure um, and can be at least to, to some degree and go maybe a little beyond just uh, professional entanglements. And so these people are, because you understand them, it's like, you know, when I find other writers, there's there's a prevailing theory sometimes for, from some people that writers shouldn't be friends with writers. Uh, you should be friends with like, quote unquote, real people like, you know, out in the world. So you learn things. And, but for me, writers have to have friends who are writers because we're the only people who understand the really weird stuff that we go through. Um, you know, even my family who are great and I love very much. If I get into the weeds of like publishing and writing stuff there, that you can kind of see like the, the gaze disconnect and like, Oh, okay. Like we're out. But when I'm talking to other writers, they're like, they totally are laser focused and understand exactly the weird nitty gritty that I'm talking about. I assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that science and scientists certainly have a similar vibe that there's just some things that people who are not practicing in that way uh, maybe can relate to and understand. Uh, and especially as you get down into specializations, uh, there's probably definitely some pretty unique things that just other people, you know, the, the normies, so to speak, were just like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but your 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 friends in the industry and the friends of the business uh, and in the practice and disciplines understand that stuff. Yeah, if you if I start telling people that I've figured out and, you know, named and described 13 different kinds of undersea lava flows for my masters, they're like, oh, my God, their eyes roll back in their head because all all people want to know is, is the lava going to kill me? And I'm like, well, yeah. when it's five miles undersea, the answer is no. Yeah. So it, yeah. that's it. That ends it. So. Yeah. So you get it. And um, yeah. and so let's swing to AI again. Um. So you kind of present it as a double-edged sword. With Wayward, it's it's very different than Wanderers, the first book of those two. Uh, and you've also used AI and mentioned it in a few other works. So, oh, yes. Um, yeah. So just, you know, I'd love to get your take on what you see as limits, dangers, possible benefits of AI um, that you can imagine, because that is your job. You are Mr. Imagination. So I'd love to hear uh, yeah, AI is one of those things where like any of our great powers and technologies, whether you're talking about splitting atoms or you're talking about a sharpened piece of metal that we turned into a knife can always be used for great benefit. You know, I'm going to cut bread and serve my friends or I'm going to stab them and take their bread or, you know, it, obviously, you know, what you do with 
fire and nuclear power, whatever it is, there's always a sort of a, a double-sided uh, coin there. So artificial intelligence is very clearly that. And I think, you know, we're seeing that. And my preference would remain that artificial intelligence do the things that the human mind is not really capable of doing, whether that's, um, you know, gazing upon an entire network of health data and figuring out trends that maybe an individual alone can't see, or whether it's making sure that my, you know, my Roomba does not track dog poop across the carpet and like maybe configure that out for me. That'd be great. Uh, but I don't know why we're uh, also hyper-focused on artificial intelligence taking over human positions, especially the human positions like art and writing that um, traditionally speaking, people would like to do um, and would like to be free to do. So if you, you know, artificial intelligence could pick up the other slack, that would be fine. Um, you know what? Like, I would like to know when my milk is running out of the fridge. I think if it could help me do that, that would be super great. Um, less than like writing my books for me. But that part I don't want it to do. You, you've written so many things. And um, I, I just, I really like the way that you represent science and technology in one of your books called Zeros. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you you had so much versatility as a thinker and a writer because the the book involves a lot of technical work. It involves hackers. And yeah. it, you know, that is Hollywood's version of a hacker is somebody connects a computer to a system and then brings down the government in five minutes. Um, that's not how it is. You manage to convey like, I don't know, you got your brain in sync with people who have very highly technical knowledge and a very distinct lifestyle. And and yet, how are you able to do that? How are you able to get into the head of a very specialized profession and then also use your imagination to make a really compelling story? Uh, first of all, like I've known a number of um, hacker type folk throughout my, my years. I used to like pre-internet, I used to run like bulletin board systems, like the old dial-up you know, 2400 baud, 1200 baud kind of kind of system. So, um, you know, even back then I was connecting with and meeting, you know, hacker folks who were kind of, or, or phone freakers, like people who were like really sort of all about getting into systems and learning how to manipulate both the systems and the people to get into the systems. Um, and so I always found that interesting even then, um, you know, but I think there's like a good line between like making hacking look super easy like oh the helicopter's shooting me i would need to just hack the helicopter and it's like it goes to 100 and it's like ding we hacked the helicopter and then it explodes um you know versus like obviously hacking too can be really boring like it's just, just code just like ticket like typing it'd be as exciting as watching me write a book um you know on a camera so you know you're trying to find that sort of narrative balance between being authentic to what's going on and what reality is but also uh, be tense and exciting and have it be something that's um, intriguing and interesting to the reader. Um, for me, it's like there's a, anytime I deal with like reality-based information that needs to be conveyed in a, a fictional, entertaining way, um, I sort of t take a tweak on the two truths and a lie. Like I'm always trying to tell like several true things that will bridge me to the complete fictional fabrication horror sci-fi thing that I'm going to, you know, bring to the table and not just be like, you know, which again, obviously I, I have written Star Wars and love Star Wars, but it's not just like, I don't know, it's a sword with light. Like who cares? Like that's awesome. And I, but it, when you're kind of trying to write these books, you want it to make sense and feel like it's a real thing, especially when it's set in the now and it's supposed to be something people believe in, not just uh, that they take on faith. Um, so for me, it's always like building in those like real details and then eventually be like, we have left the real details behind, but hopefully you can still follow me, 
naturally in this connect the dots way to this really nightmare stuff I'm writing. The humans at the heart of all of your books, you're correct. Community is a very strong underlying theme. And then what happens when you don't have it? But the people are so real. And I think that's what, you know, you get from a like a Michael Crichton, Stephen King. Um, but one of the things that I've really noticed is you've been able to portray the radicalization and like hatred and white supremacy kind of coming back to the fore. It's it's really like you you say the quiet parts out loud in your writing and um, they need to be said because people need to, to see that this stuff can fester. So, yeah. And, and I first became familiar with your work when I was running for Congress in 2018 to also shed light on things. And I've interacted with you a bunch on on Twitter, on Instagram. And so I wanted to know if if immersing yourself in social media, in that landscape, which obviously you just said you've been part of since BBS days, um, is that like is that kind of like a, a twist on the intellectual salons that they used to have in the early 20th century? Or is it like a pressure cooker, uh, like Manhattan Project uh, style thing? Um, is that is that why you engage so much online? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Wow. Sometimes it's those things. Um, sometimes it's just a distraction time waster. Sometimes it's a, um, uh, that sort of aquarium, like I'm pressed up against the glass trying to figure out what's in there. Um, you know, sometimes it's a tonguing a broken tooth kind of a thing. Like you're like, I just, I feel like everything is bad and I want to just keep poking at it and figuring out why and see if it makes it feel better. It traditionally does not. Uh, but sometimes you learn some things in the process. Um, sometimes it's like that just hyper vigilance, right? Cause we're like living in this very strange new world with not just everything. I mean, obviously every time in history is its own special brand weirdness, right? I, I do recognize that, but it does feel like since 2016 and into the pandemic, things have just been maybe a little extra off the rails. Uh, and so, you know, that hypervigilance sometimes is like, I just want to be like staring at it to see if it'll start making some sense. And I think then fiction becomes kind of a, to some degree an, an extension and hopefully a healthy extension of that hypervigilance that's like, I am trying to make sense of it, staring at it, but then the fiction is like taking it like clay and seeing if there's something there to be molded and shaped into into some kind of sense. It's it's interesting to me too, because you know, the solitary writer vibe is definitely one that we we've all heard about that. Like lock yourself oh, yeah. in your room with with the yellow wallpaper and yep. get to yeah, it. Yeah, we're, but, like um, we're doomsday preppers narratively speaking. Yeah. Yes. Um and so so it just makes me think of of wayward again and how I think what I really got from from that like post-apocalyptic world is that it kind of underscored humanity's commitment to survival and innovation and engineering and like a shared struggle um is that the sort of like ray of light uh that, that is that one we can take from the science fi science fiction future maybe <laughs> yeah I think so I mean you know and again that's why I I think I go I don't want to say out of my way, because I think this is true with a lot of science fiction, but I, I make special effort to ensure that it's not just like the bad side. Like, well, science is bad and they, it unleashes bad things and we can't trust it. Because I think that's the sort of path of how you get to be like, vaccines are actually full of tiny robots and they're going to kill us. E even though admittedly, I'm also using the tiny robots who might kill us thing, not in vaccines. Uh, but, you know, yeah, the the people and the, the disciplines they're bringing to the table and the the wisdom and the intelligence um, and the discipline, I think, is definitely something that presents the hopeful side of that equation. 
um, yeah, as opposed to the disaster, doom, doom saying, doom scrolling um, kind of vibe that you can get from from some things. Very true. So there is a question that I know. I think. I think my guess is it's going to be opening the uh, all the cans of all the worms. Uh, <laughs> and this is this is because we are the union of concerned scientists. We yes. are concerned, and so yeah. I ask all of my guests. In this case, it will it will be Chuck Wendig. Why yeah. are you concerned? <laughs> How long do we have? Can I do we have like a couple hours? Uh, Wanderers was definitely like my Bible of the concerns. Like it was definitely, but then like the weird thing was when like an actual pandemic hit after having written about an actual pandemic, like my sort of anxiety relaxed. It was really weird. Like at the start of the pandemic, it was almost like my anxiety was taking a victory lap. Like it was like, see, like I, I told you, and then you were, you were right. Like, like it high fives, everybody. You can now take a nap and, and lock down. So uh, I guess the pandemic thing is a, is a worry is now off the table, just if only because it's a it's fresh. Um, but like one of the things, like you know, outside of the the giant monolithic concern of climate change, um, but the post antibiotic age is one of the ones that sort of gets me because you know, we really we really need antibiotics, and the fact that sometimes the search for new antibiotics is halted by basic capitalism like well there's not as much money in it so we just don't look and you're like yeah but like there has to be money in society existing so like maybe just get that part done um like i know they have i just saw yesterday the day before that they had new potential a uh, new potential gonorrhea um antibiotic on the uh, horizon which is desperately needed given the um uh, resistant forms that are out there now so you know stuff like that is always like you know when I write wayward and it's the end of the world, you understand why antibiotics are hard to deal with, but like we shouldn't have that problem now in current society where antibiotics stop working and we're just like, whatever, too bad. Good luck with your cut on your face from shaving. So that that's one that still kind of like burrows. I'm like, can we just fix that? Be good. It's these little things we take for granted. And when you remove them, what do you have left? Uh, uh, so that's a pretty that's a pretty good concern, and I like it because now I'm waiting for your next book, which will probably be about the lack of antibiotics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt me. Don't tempt yeah, me. Drug resistant bacteria takes over yeah. the world. Um, yeah. So uh, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, but <laughs> in uh, in more real world matters, um, tell us about your most recent book and uh, where what what it's called. Should people read it? I'm going to guess the answer is yes. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, that's up to them, but I'd like them to. Um, uh, it's called Black River Orchard. Um, it's set uh, where I live in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. It's about a, uh, a man who brings um, back from uh, the brink a uh, secret uh, heirloom apple called, he calls the Ruby Slipper. Um, but there was a reason it was sort of left to the margins of, of history and darkness. And it, there is a, um, a curse afoot and uh, it slowly begins to, take over uh the town and county in which these this new orchard grows so it's about the people affected by um these strange new apples and the people who are not affected by them and who effectively form a uh, resistance against um this strange new fruit it that is pretty cool i haven't read it yet so i'm excited i because I've, I've read you know your your sci-fi 
kind of leaning stuff. And then I read Book of Accidents, which is yeah. not sci-fi, definitely horror. And you know, some very... people say it's sci-fi. Though. That's the weird. Some people are like, well, it's sci-fi. Well, yeah, because I mean, I could I could see it, but I put it more in the horror line of things versus, you know, like like um, Wayward or Wanderers or, yeah, or yeah. Zeros or. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you've you've got such a vast array of things you've written and it's great. And so I really appreciate you coming on to my little science program and, you know, talking about this because oh, it's, my pleasure. it's it's your science fiction is an important way of thinking about these current modern real world challenges. And so we need everybody on board. We need yeah. the writers and the artists and the poets and the scientists and the engineers. It's all that's how we keep our society moving. So, yeah, it's all connected. That STEM stuff. See, absolutely. It's all connected. Thanks to Rich Hayes and Omari Spears for production help and to Anthony Eyring for our multimedia magic. Remember, ignorance is the disease, scientistas. <laughs>